Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today we interview Sabrina Johnson, CEO of Dare Bioscience. Dare Bioscience is a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company committed to the advancement of innovative products for women's health. The company's mission is to identify, develop, and bring to market a diverse portfolio of differentiated therapies that expand treatment options, improving outcomes, and facilitating convenience for women, primarily in the areas of contraception, vaginal health, sexual health, and fertility. Dare in Italian means to give. And in English, it means to be bold. And, well, they are definitely both of those things. You are bold and giving back to women, and I love it. They currently have three late-stage therapeutics in the pipeline. Super excited for them to come out. Also, they are a publicly traded company. Yes, another Femtech exit. It's so annoying to me when I hear people say, Femtech just needs an exit to show that it can be successful. Um, hello? Femtech Focus's database shows 36 exits to date, and I'm sure we don't even have all of them. Of those 36 exits, four of them are over $1 billion, so they're unicorns, and three of them are IPOs, initial public offerings that make them a public company. Dare Biosciences is one of them, and it was so great to have them on the show. Enjoy. Hey, Sabrina. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yes, definitely. Doing some research on you before this interview, and I was like, oh, damn. Like, I better fix my hair. Like, this is... You're big time. This is a public company. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, some, we started this with founders with ideas and now I'm interviewing CEOs of public companies. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's awesome. It's so awesome. Anyways, I'm like little starstruck Thank over you. here for Femtech. Uh, where are you located right now? So San Diego, we're in San Diego. We have an office in Boston as well, but I'm in San Diego and that's where our headquarters are. Got it. Awesome. Well, you know, what we love to kick off the interviews with is a little backstory. You know, our our listeners love to hear about our guests' backgrounds, not just all your accomplishments of being the CEO of a publicly traded femtech company, right? So like, where did you start? What did you study? And then how did you end up in women's health and wellness? Yeah, no, thanks for that question. It's always fun to get to talk about your background a little bit. But I had, for a long time, a pretty traditional career trajectory. I have a master's in biochemical engineering, so I started out in drug development in the pharmaceutical industry and loved it, loved bringing medical products to people, but realized I was better suited for the business side Mm. than the the lab, being in the lab side. I totally identify um, with that. Yeah. Me in a right? laboratory, I was like very high strung. They were like, you need yeah. to go outside. <laughs> I needed people. Yeah. <laughs> I needed people exposure. <laughs> um, so I went back to school and got my MBA and stayed in the industry and, and moved to San Diego a long, long time ago. I really wanted to be in one of the biotech life science mm-hmm. hubs. I've been in San Diego for quite some time. And went into kind of pharmaceutical sales and marketing and eventually finance and operations. And and through a serendipitous sequence of events, I landed a role as a chief financial officer at a publicly traded company, which gave me a completely different perspective on how you finance the kind of work, right, that we do. And long story short, that company was sold And I had an opportunity to take a step back and think about what I really wanted to do with my life. And I realized that I had worked in pretty much every therapeutic area except women's health. Hmm. And that seemed like a shame because when I looked critically at like, what was I doing in my free time? I was doing a lot of volunteering for women's issues, right? Women's health organizations and women's causes and women in STEM. And and I thought how ironic that I wasn't 
actually doing any drug development and product development for women. So I wanted to first learn a little bit more about the needs and, and the categories. So I joined a global nonprofit that was bringing new women's health products to markets, often in the developing world, Africa, Asia, Latin America. Mm -hmm. But it was a great learning place to yeah. understand, you know, what are the needs, right? What do women need? What do they want? Yeah. What um, was that where, organization? It's called Woman Care Global, WCG. Cool. And it's actually based out of the UK, but they happened to have an office in San Diego, which is awesome. And that experience, frankly, is what led me to, to start Dare. So in that role where I was often looking for new products that were maybe already approved mm -hmm. to bring to market, what I would see is great innovation that had been developed in the early part of development but wasn't taken all the way to the finish line. And I looked around and saw a pharmaceutical industry of companies with very much of a focus in bringing the products literally to market mm -hmm. for women, commercializing mm -hmm. the products, but not all that investment in internal development yeah. really to accelerate that innovation. So I saw an interesting opportunity for Dare to create a company that could really become an innovation accelerator for women. So take those great products that are addressing some of the most persistent unmet needs, advance them through clinical development, and then partner in strategic ways to help bring them to market. We didn't have to do everything on our own. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, making sure we're, we're picking um, disease areas and, and therapeutic categories and products that basically make things better for women, make life yeah. better, right? Address some of those unmet needs, we're often, what we're really looking for is enhanced convenience that mm -hmm. in turn can improve outcomes, right? Or enhanced information or, or a product that is used in a way that better resonates with our lifestyle and needs. Wow. So that was really, the, that, that's how I got involved in women's health. And that's um, how Dare came to be when I started the company in 2015. 2015. So it's five years old. And yes. it's public. Oh my God. That's <laughs> my years in venture. I'm like, we never, we would never tell a company that in five years they could be public. We'd never say that. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was interesting. I, I have to say when I started the company, my, my background is, was mostly publicly traded companies. So oh. starting a company and having it be private was new and venture dealing interesting. with the venture. Fund. Yeah. You and I are on different sides. I'm like, I don't know how those private equity things work. I don't know what... Right, <laughs> Who's right. Mr. NASDAQ? I, I don't know who NASDAQ wow. is. <laughs> exactly. And I was kind of, wow, this venture thing takes mm -hmm. so long. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, you know, we we wanted to be public because mm -hmm. we realized it was it was a great way to, to capitalize our business model and what we wanted to do and also create a company that the investment would be accessible to people who really understood our vision mm -hmm. and understood – not only the social impact that we're making, which I think is incredible, but frankly, the business opportunity, yeah. right? There's, there's a lot um, of needs in women's health that are not adequately addressed. Mm -hmm. And the company that brings those technologies forward um, will be well served. Yeah. So I, you know, so I saw that as a really great opportunity to, to do the social good I wanted to do, but do it in a way that um, can, can be profitable. Totally. Yeah. You know, you remind me a lot about myself and my motivation behind Femtech Focus because we both started in labs. So we both are a little nerdy. We love science. And then we're yeah. activists for women's rights. And then the third is like, and we want to make money. We want to be women yeah. who have capital, you know, because capital right. speaks and you can make change when you have capital. And so that's, that's awesome. A part of my naivete of public companies do you know the gender of who owns stock in your company because i'm wondering is it like a lot of women versus men you know it is um it, it appears to be mostly men from what we can of the investors that we can tell which uh -huh. is not a big segment of them so a lot of investors we have no you know no idea okay. by name who they yeah. are right? we know where they have their investment account okay. um and mm -hmm. so i but the, the funds, so I should say like the healthcare funds uh -huh. that have invested in our company have been primarily male-run Yeah, funds. yeah. Well, funds, yeah. Yeah. So that's because I was thinking about um, one of the things I'm also passionate about is getting women into investing. I think that we've done a great campaign of 
fund female founders. But I think if we put all that motivation behind get female general partners, we don't have to fight to fund female founders because the general partners that are women with uteruses will do it. Right. And so I'm always trying to think about how do we get women in control of capital? So I was wondering about the publicly traded stocks. If, if women are investing in their health, right. With your company. I hope so. I hope that the, you know, the retail investor, the individuals, I, I really hope that women are, are doing that. And there are definitely some that we know of, but, yeah. um, you know, it would be great to see more of that because to your point, when we tell our story and when we tell our story to women and we talk about the products that we're developing, they get it immediately yep. yeah. really across the portfolio and, and men get it too, but you have to do a little more work, right. To explain yeah. they, they may not a lot of things we deal with are not things you talk about normally. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> some like anatomy 101 and biology 101. Yeah, a few yes. things. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. you said that, you know, so Dare takes uh, technology that may be sitting on a shelf somewhere and didn't go all the way. Why would a technology end up on a not going to market? Why would it ever fall off if it's right. good? Sometimes what, what happens, like, is, as we think about our portfolio, um, I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. So we're developing a product right now for bacterial vaginosis, which is the most common infect, vaginal infection a woman can expect to experience in her lifetime. It affects 21 million women. And the technology that we're developing for this is um, it's, it's a gel that she uh, applies herself locally um, to the infected area. And that technology was originally developed for wound healing, so not for oh. a woman's health indication. But when we think about kind of the ideal product profile for this particular indication, you want something that's really kind of sticky, bioadhesive, that's going to stay on the localized site, um, that delivers antibiotic, you know, really efficiently, that potentially can, you can do a one-time administration, but it's delivering the drug over several days. Those are the same challenges you often have in wound healing. Yeah. So that's a great example where the technology was developed for a different use. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's utility that we and clinicians that work in this therapeutic area could see would apply perfectly here. So that's an example of it wasn't sitting on the shelf per se, yeah. but this women's health use of the technology really took people thinking about yes. the underlying technology with the women's health mm-hmm. lens. I love that type of innovation where it's like the wheel exists, but you're like, what if we put that wheel uh, over here, you know? So like if our listeners, you know, if you are not a bioengineer, if you are not a architect, you are not a designer, it's okay. A lot of times you just have to see what's out there and either update it, right? Because we do have women's, uh, you know, med devices or therapeutics that are good, but they could use updating Um, or there's things that work, but they're for some other purpose. Right. Right. Yeah. And another great example, a couple on the contraceptive side, I'll just highlight super quickly is um, in terms of that, you know, why does a technology maybe not move forward right away? Mm -hmm. Or how can you take a learning in another area and apply it Uh um, to women's health? We have a contraceptive product that is a hormone free once a month um, contraceptive. There's nothing like it. And some of the early work with that product was done um, 2008, 2009, great data were generated, but that was right during kind of an economic recession. And the technology, I think at that point, just really couldn't get the funding yeah, it needed yeah. to continue to advance. And so that was a great example of really innovative, interesting technology, but timing was off yep. in terms of getting people to invest. So, you know, it was already invented and, and we uncovered it and, and saw the potential. It's a product called yeah. Overprene that we are um, partnered with, with Bayer on now. Um, and then the other one I would mention is where you can take kind of things you learn from other therapeutic areas and apply them to women's health. The most effective contraceptives are products that are implanted, right? Mm. So that they are delivering product without the woman having to yeah. take any action or worry about it. Yeah. Um, so those are the most effective. But the challenge with that is that often she wants to pause for contraception and so a lot of women maybe will will have to think twice about whether an implant makes sense for her Mm -hmm. because she would have to get it implanted and then removed if she in two years maybe wants to start a family Mm -hmm. and then she'd have to get it implanted again 
But if you look at other therapeutic areas where, you know, um, drugs are delivered in a way where they can be paused or synchronized or recalibrated, Hmm. you know, you think, well, why can't you do that in the area of contraception? So we're working on an implant that could potentially deliver product over 10 years, but can be wirelessly turned on and off. Almost like Uh, an insulin pump. Almost, exactly. right? Like there's exactly. some sensor. Oh my gosh, yeah. the IoT, yeah. IoT, Internet of Things for contraceptives. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes it's just thinking about, you know, what what technology could we apply here that will allow a hormone that is not new, the drug itself is not new, yeah. but allows that drug to be delivered in a way that is more convenient for her and is more in line with what she's looking for. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm thinking of all these crazy things right now. I'm like imagining like, yeah, it only like, it only like enters the uterus when sperm gets in there. Like, it, you know? <laughs> like, like a doorbell, you know, that when the sliding glass doors open and a bell goes off, like if sperm enters, this hormone is released, you know? <laughs> Otherwise, you're like not on hormones. <laughs> My imagination. That's that. it's a good entrepreneur's brain because I think of weird exactly. things. But <laughs> wow! So exactly. you're working on bacterial vaginosis, uh, contraceptive. Uh, what what are other products that you're you're working on? And again, listeners, remember this is this is a, not a company that has one product. It's a it's a company that brings products that were shelved to market. So what are the other ones you're working on? Um, thanks for asking. Also love to talk about our portfolio because we really do see ourselves as, as you know, a, the premier pipeline of products and development in women's health. And we built the portfolio around, we had to start somewhere. So we built it around four key, I would say therapeutic categories. Okay. So one is contraception, one is sexual health, one is vaginal health, and one is fertility. And so right now in the portfolio, we actually have nine products in development, so nine across the portfolio, um, four of which are in what we call clinical development, which means they're at human study stages. Um, So one is that bacterial vaginosis. And so I'll focus mostly on those, but I'll talk about the fertility one as well, which, um, because we got some exciting news we announced today of funding from (gasps) the um, NIH for that program. Yeah. which is great. Um, so bacterial vaginosis I already talked about. So that's yeah. for this very common um, vaginal infection. We're actually in a phase three study, which is the last phase of clinical Amazing. studies we have to do where we can file it with the FDA. And we are running that study now in the COVID world, which says a lot about how important women's health is to women, <laughs> right? Yes. These women with this infection, they're going to the doctor. They are not waiting. They are dealing with it. Hell no. Um, Men, so if you've them. never had a yeast infection, God bless you. Yeast, I don't oh, know yeah. what it is. So like I have a lot of family up in New Hampshire. They're like farmers and stuff. And these women wear these tight horse riding pants all day long. They're riding horses. They're sweating. And I'm like, how do you not have yeast infections monthly? I would die up here. Like I am like... And then sometimes these ladies tell me, oh, I do have a yeast infection. I'm like, how are you walking around? Like, if I have a yeast infection, my week's over. Like, I'm on the couch watching Lifetime, like, getting monostat from the CVS every day. Like, it is so uncomfortable. That's one of these people that understand. And and bacterial vaginosis is is where it's like the bacteria that's off balance. Yeah. And... It can cause odor. It can cause a um, discharge and discharge. Yeah. So this is, you know, it's not cute, y'all. It's an issue. (laughs) If men had this, it'd be solved. I promise you. Exactly. 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 Um, So, so that's something we're excited about, and and hoping to make treatments better. Because right now, to your point, if men had this, uh, we'd have way better treatment options available. Mm -hmm. Right now, the available approved treatments only cure the disease thirty seven to sixty mid sixty percent of the time cure rates, which is very low. So hopefully, we'll make a difference there. But um, one of the other programs we're super excited about is for sexual health. Uh So. Female sexual arousal disorder is her version of erectile dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So just like men can have challenges in having sufficient blood flow, you know, to the general tissue to have an an arousal response, uh, women can have the same problem. And it's actually just as prevalent, if not more prevalent in women as it is in men. And despite, you know, the ads you can see night and day for um, erectile dysfunction, 
function treatments for men, there is nothing currently approved for women. Yeah. And this is another great example of no need to reinvent the wheel. Um, because the mechanism is, is similar, we're developing a product that uses the same active ingredient that is in Viagra uh -huh. uh, for men. So it's called Sidenafil, and it's a cream. So um, Viagra actually can work um, in, in women orally, but the side effect profile, the dose she needs to get yeah. to the side effect profile isn't ideal for this indication. But we're developing an on-demand cream that she can apply locally to the dental tissue when she needs it you know, to get her arousal response. So we look to be running a clinical study on that um, next year. All right, pause one uh, second. I have some questions. Can I ask yeah. some questions about that? <laughs> so my understanding, and my listeners know, I learn a lot on record. <laughs> I'm learning alongside my <laughs> listeners. So what I've heard is that uh, women that struggle with sexual arousal, it's a it's a brain issue, that there's not like this, you know, activation of, you know, being turned on, right? What I hear you saying is that, like, maybe it's that the woman does have that activation, but her genitals aren't really responding. And so the lotion is going to help that? Yeah. So okay. there's two kinds of female sexual dysfunction. Got um, Dysfunction. Kind of primary categories of what can go wrong mm -hmm. um, with her having a sexual uh, response that she's mm -hmm. looking for. One is lack of desire. So that is... Okay kind of the in the brain, brain yeah. right? That's a CNS, central nervous system. That's, she's just not interested. She may want to be interested very badly. She mm -hmm. may be in a very, you know, committed relationship and, and it can be very, very distressing to her. Um, but that is lack of interest. Um, sec, um, female sexual arousal disorder, like I said, oh. it is most analogous to erectile dysfunction. And that is, sometimes I use that analogy also because it's easy for people yeah. to understand because they've heard about it with men, which is, those guys are interested, yeah. right? They just can't perform, yeah. right? Yeah. And female sexual arousal disorder in women is very similar. She is interested. She is just simply not getting that arousal response. And similarly, it can be very, very distressing. Yeah, and because, painful if you try to move forward with it. Like you need that yes. lubrication. You need the you need the warmth. You need the blood. You need all the things happening. Exactly. That's exactly right. And without that, um, you know, it can create a situation where she it's uncomfortable mm -hmm. to your point, right? Mm -hmm. She's not getting the physical response that's needed to make it a pleasurable activity. Um, and so what we know in that condition, again, it's similar to men. You, you just need to increase that blood flow to the yes. general tissue. That's what creates that warmth, that's lubrication, the, the tingling, the sensations that she's going to feel. Yeah, so got that's it. what we need to do with this product. Got it. Thanks for breaking that down for us. And I also have a hope that one day we could try to describe a male's disorder using a female's disorder as examples. You know, because we, know, we all awesome? would understand the female <laughs> disorder so well that it's common knowledge. And we could try to describe to people the man's version. You know, I hate I, that it's always I the man's that. version that we're trying to, like, reflect over. So one day it'll be reversed. Um. I love that. That is a great, that is a great goal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Cool. So sexual wellness. And, and one of the things I always like to ask, because, you know, people hear, oh, you know, especially like as I'm trying to fundraise our fund and our program, and I say sex tech is something and they're like, whoa, 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 you're gonna have dildos in your program. And I'm like, listen, y'all. Like, first of all, why not? Yeah, maybe we will, <laughs> by the way. Um, but also sexual wellness is like this. It's like this dysfunction, right? Like people don't assume yes. that there's any issues. And so sex tech for women is just dildos and whatever and right. nipple right. clamps, you know? And I'm like, right. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I mean, also so still, we still might include it. that, but you know, so it's okay, cool. We have some more examples of sexual wellness. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, what happens is once people start talking about these conditions more is what helps, right? It creates a dialogue with, with physicians. It creates advertisements. Yes. It creates buzz in social media that suddenly get people talking about something that they were not comfortable talking, you know, about. Do you about. feel nervous about when that product goes to market, how you're going to market it? Because, um, you know, Vogue, you can say penis and you cannot say vagina. Um, you can say erectile dysfunction on Facebook ads. You cannot say female sexual wellness. Like, that's what we're competing with here. What, what do you guys feel like that about that? 
You know, I I do think the tides are going to shift there as well. Oh, I, I really feel that that um, right now we don't have enough of us, right? Mm-hmm. There are some of us, but there aren't enough of us yet kind of, you know, pounding the tables and saying, no, come on. Um, you know, I joke, everyone hears me say this all the time at, at, at the office, but I say vagina more times in a day than most people say it in their lifetime, like you, in their lifetime. You would be and, a great dinner guest for me and my co-founder because we say vagina <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and what I've realized is that, you know what, and sometimes I will say it purposely, like you don't yes. want to be using it as a word, right? Because... Bacterial vaginosis is a great example. Like a lot of people abbreviate that to BV. Mm. Like why? Like vaginosis. There's nothing wrong with it. Like we say it. It's a medical condition. It's serious. It's bad. Um, And so, you know, so I think what will happen, and sometimes it does take things like products coming to market and drugs getting approved, Mm -hmm. where we're going to be able to put the pressure Right where those platforms aren't going to be able to say, Vogue's not going to be able to say, "No, you can't say vagina." Well, mm-hmm. yeah, we can't because this product is approved and that's where it's applied. Uh-huh. Right, our Sidenafil cream, if it's applied, will be applied to the vagina. Yeah, <laughs> right. Got to say that. So, so our our ovaprene, our contraceptive, non-hormonal, it's a vaginal product. It's it's inserted vaginally. So, I think we're going to get to the place where. Mm. These outlets are not going to be able to continue with yeah. the positions they're taking. Because there's going to be enough products wanting to buy ad space that it would be stupid for them to continue to say no because they'd be missing out a lot of money. But they're saying no exactly. now because it's a very small amount of people who want to say vagina. Oh, exactly. that's interesting thought. I like that. All right. Yeah. That's my hope. I hope yeah. it's I hope. <laughs> um. I hope it's right. Uh, was yeah. there any other categories? I know I keep interrupting you, but this is so fascinating. Other categories, oh, yeah, you guys? Yeah, we have a few different contraceptives, like I talked about mm-hmm. in development. We have a really important product for women um, with breast cancer, which mm-hmm. often the result of the therapy is that she goes into like a menopause type state, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. means, um, especially if she's hormone receptor positive breast cancer, and so she'll have very painful, um, what's called vaginal atrophy, which can lead from, oh. to painful intercourse. So again, very distressing at a time of her life when she's got a lot of other things going on and the normal therapies are hormones, which she can't take. So we have a non-hormonal um, product in development to treat that. Um, and then today we announced we got a grant from the um, NIH to um, support our program to run a phase one study for a Another vaginal ring technology that we have, it's something she inserts vaginally. And this is a product for fertility and uh, preterm birth. It releases progesterone, the hormone Mm -hmm. progesterone, over 14 days. So today, a lot of women need progesterone um, either during a pregnancy or to support in vitro fertilization. And right now, their choices are the injections, the intramuscular injections that they have to do several times um, often several times a day, even, or vaginal gels that they have to apply several times. So the opportunity to develop something that's wow. put it in weeks is, is huge. And the NIH recognized that. So it's nice to also get that validation that they see, you know, the importance here. Yeah, it's definitely. It's like, it's like as if you, you know, you're trying to bake a cake, cake being the baby, and like you preheated the oven, but then as soon as you put the cake in, you turn the heat off the oven. You hope that the heat in there will just cook it, but like your ring will like continue the heat, right? All the right chemicals to make that, that cake. Yes. Yeah. Bake. I love your analogy. <laughs> I have no. I don't. I've really not had this many on episodes. I don't know. People are gonna be like, "What is Brittany on today?" I feel very anat. Like a lot of a lot of imagery today. That's how I feel. But um, oh my gosh, you are working on such important stuff. This is so awesome. Um, a question for you: Do you? Because you've had a background in bringing drugs to market, right? Not in women's health. Now that you're in women's health, bringing drugs and devices to market, do you find that we have unique barriers that other industries don't have? Like FDAs have higher expectations. There's no billing code. Like tell us some of these conflicts that we have to deal with in femtech. Yeah, you really touched on one of them, which is it's not a barrier per se, but I think it's something that we have to really be aware of when we're developing products for women. 
which is um, some of the conditions, um, many of the conditions are not life-threatening, but they're life-altering conditions. Mm. Bacterial is a great, vaginosis is a great example, right? It's not life-threatening, but it obviously is life-altering and it can lead to serious problems like infertility and preterm birth. But, um, and so as a result, when you're developing a product for one of these indications, Mm. unlike developing a product for, you know, maybe a devastating rare disease or, um, you know, a serious form of cancer, um, the, the kind of risk benefit profile is a little bit different, right? The do no harm is, is pretty intense, right? Yes. Do no harm. <laughs> um, and, you know, make sure you're doing enough good to have that risk benefit profile make, make sense. And so from a regulatory perspective, the FDA has to do exactly what they need to do in these categories, okay, which yeah. is, you know, make sure that the products are truly safe for women and where, and what you might be able to tolerate um, from a side effect profile mm-hmm. in another disease area may not make sense, you know, when you're dealing with some of these conditions. So I think that is one of the challenges mm-hmm. for us. It really does mean that, you know, and, and it's a challenge also commercially that the product really has to enhance outcomes for her. Yeah. You know, it really has to be an improvement. It has to be easier to use. It has to be safer. Ideally, it has to improve the outcomes. It, it has to be meaningful mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you're otherwise giving something to women that are otherwise healthy, right? A lot of times we're dealing with things where we're otherwise healthy. Yeah. Um, but we're dealing with this one challenge. Interesting. Okay. So like, when I said, like, I have a yeast infection, I'll spend the week on the couch. Like, I'm alive, right? I'm just real uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm just real uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't want to talk to – no one look at me, you know? Like, I'm feeling uncomfortable. So that what the FDA is saying is that, yeah, uncomfortability is annoying, but, like, yeah. if we're going to approve of this drug, it can't have any side effects that are worse than an uncomfortableness. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. Oh, man. Exactly. Do you think that there's some bias in that in terms of, like – people assuming that women can handle pain like there's like this unconscious idea yeah no it's a great question i i don't think there's bias per se Mm -hmm. but but i think the other piece of it too is that sometimes uh it can be a little harder to understand what is an improvement actually female sexual arousal disorder is a great example right where okay again using the comparison to erectile dysfunction with erectile dysfunction it's you know, right, whether the drug is working or not, and you yes. know whether it's better or not. In female sexual arousal disorder, the FDA is very motivated to have something approved for women. They would love to have something approved for women, oh. but it's a lot of work, and they have to work collaboratively, as they have been with us, with the company, to figure out, okay, well, what, we can't just look <laughs> and see, right, how to yeah. do So what questions do we ask her, Right. What are the right questions? And now you're asking her questions about something that most women aren't talking about no, all the time. So we don't even have words like, for it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So it takes a lot of work. So I think that can be part of the barrier too. It's not just the the safety barrier sometimes, but it's also we're dealing with things where there's either hasn't been a lot of dialogue about it before. There's yeah. no regulatory precedence, right? No one's gone through the FDA with it before, Um, you know, we're defining language in a way that in areas that people don't normally talk about at a dinner party. Right. So yeah, because like, yeah, the description of sexual arousal for women is mostly just like for sexting and like phone sex. (laughs) Like we don't necessarily necessarily talk about our like swollen labias at you know at our doctor's office right like it's you talk about that in a very sexual secret dirty talk it's dirty talk right it's literally dirty talk and so when you're in this fda clinical trial and you're trying to quantify wetness (laughs) as a sign of like it working oh my gosh this is so interesting yeah Hmm. Yeah, and what and what do those words mean, right? What does wetness mean to one person versus another person, or yes. lubrication, or you know, or like you said, what does arousal mean? You know, how yeah. does she think about it? What mm-hmm. sensations is she associating with that? Yeah, and so it takes a lot of work, and we we spent actually a year and a half um, working 
interviewing women, working with the FDA, coming up with the right questions before we can even start our human study with the drug. And women's arousal is so on the spectrum. Like men, I feel like it's like erection, orgasm. Like that's, it's like, boom, like that's what it is. Like women, there's like some women have G spots, you know, and some women don't. Some women can come from only penetration. Some women can't. Some women, you know. I don't actually know the right scientific word for this, but they squirt. I don't know what the right science medical word for that. Again, like I'm a freaking leader in women's health and I only know the dirty quote unquote dirty word for that. I don't know the medical term, but, uh, you know, but it is a great point. I mean, the arousal response, Mm -hmm. um, is very varied and right. And, and even with female sexual arousal disorder, she can have, it's an inability to attain or maintain a sufficient arousal response. Um, and that may or may not be linked to an inability to orgasm, for instance, right? So it's... You can't even use that know, as your, like, golden ticket if it works or not. Oh, my right. goodness. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. I was definitely hating on the FDA for a while now, but now you just made me realize, like, okay, maybe it's actually like a quantification issue. Okay. It, it, it really is. <laughs> I, I will say, you know, across our, our different products and, and we're, because we're working in so many therapeutic areas, we have the, the fun mm-hmm. um, of working with the FDA and different groups within the FDA and a variety of programs. And, and I will say across the board, um, we've seen nothing but enthusiasm on their part and awesome. interest in bringing these new products oh, to good. market. That's so encouraging to our listeners because I know a lot of them are in their early stages of development. So that's fantastic. Are there other barriers that you notice? No, I mean, obviously one of them just being the funding, Funding. um, you know, funding in general and, 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 and tied to that is, is just that understanding that these are significant markets. Mm -hmm. Um, Or even if you're dealing in a therapeutic category that hasn't seen significant sales of any product, that doesn't mean that it's not a significant market. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, if you, I mean, people use this analogy all the time, but if you think about the iPhone, right? If someone asked you about an iPhone before Apple brought it to market, you would have said, yes. no, I don't need something. I don't need to take pictures on my phone, right? But kind yes. of fast forward or, you know, I don't need GPS. Or um, So I think that's part of it too, is sometimes we're dealing with things where people, some, no one's done it yet. Yes. So you've got that usual like first first mover it's an advantage but it can also be a disadvantage yes that reminds me of currently the quote that people are using the statistic is that femtech is a 50 billion dollar market and people are using that as like a really big number and as an investor you don't consider anything under 1 billion so 50 billion i'm really not impressed for an entire multifaceted industry and I'm actually like really sad about that number I don't try to use it that often honestly and you know what I think it is is because fem first of all the word femtech is not that old it's like four or five years old and second of all it's like there is unspent money in this industry right there's like all this pent-up money for women experiencing menopause symptoms that they would love to put into this market therefore tripling that 50 billion but there's no products for them to buy yet and so i feel really conflicted about you know as i'm trying to raise our fund and stuff like trying to say like how big is this market i'm like well i mean this is what this says this report says this but i don't believe it you know I, I would, because just if you think about just individual therapeutic categories, you know, some of them are already a big fraction of that. I mean, contraception, just, just prescription yes. contraception, it does not include condoms and, you know, uh, is $6 billion, yeah. right? In the US alone. So, um, I'm not buying you know, it. I'm, I'm like, worried. Worried. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate the algorithms that the market researchers are using, and I can't wait for in three years, it, at, blows up because we have more products on the market well exactly this has been obviously so fun i could really talk to you forever you've answered a lot of my questions (laughs) i feel like i feel like it's the same a lot of fun (laughs) um we have uh two questions that our listeners really love to hear about and the first one is that we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs that listen and they want to know like well what still needs innovating you know i don't want to re reinvent the same wheel don't we don't need any more organic tampons right so like what is an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating 
Oh my gosh. Well, there are so, there are so many. And, and the message that I think is important for people to understand, which we kind of actually touched on a little bit, which is, I would kind of turn it into think about innovation in a different way, right? Sometimes it's not literally inventing, you know, a brand new drug or a, a, you know, a totally new kind of technical application for something. Innovation can come in the form of, you know, what is she already doing today and how can we make that better and easier for her, right? And that, and I think there are those opportunities across the spectrum of what we deal with as women, everything from things we deal with in our adolescence to, you know, late, late menopause. Um, and I think a piece of that is using information better mm-hmm. to de- make decisions around either a therapeutic approach or, you know, um, or how much we dose of a drug or which drug we choose. So I'd really love to see more advances. And I think where there's a lot of opportunities is around figuring out ways to get data. So for instance, the vagina is a great source of information, right? How do we use that information to better um, manage our health conditions and better manage, you know, what we need to have doing. So that's where I'd love to see even more, you know, innovation. There's the puppy. There's a puppy. Um, (laughs) um, I'd like to, you know, have that be a place where we can see more innovation because I think there's some really interesting, you know, opportunities there to enhance outcomes and convenience for women by, you know, maybe modulating drug dose or, things like that totally that reminds me of keg keg is like a kegel ball that's using sensors to measure cervical fluid to then like predict fertility and it's like no one's ever measured cervical fluid over the month (laughs) you know so they 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 know it has something to do with fertility but their launch is actually also an experiment right because no one knows how to measure that interesting exactly that's a great example of that so that's where i think there's there's some really interesting opportunities that I'd love to see more of us tap into. Uh, Another random question just came to mind. I'm going to put you on the spot here. So, you know, as a previous investor and, you know, we're always looking for things that have giant markets. Um, And something people have asked me about is, first of all, does femtech include, you know, trans women, right? And for me, it does, right? It's female and women's health, right? And so do you have any, like, opinion on like investors interested in technologies or therapeutics or med devices that would help you know in transitioning or after transitioning once you're a woman you know like that's definitely a category where there's again if if you think about kind of marketing one-on-one you know one-on-one is you look for unmet needs right Mm -hmm. where are the unmet needs right and you look to bring a product forward that can address that unmet need or communicate that unmet need um that's a whole, that's a very evolving sector of medicine mm-hmm. right now. Um, an evolving sector of, right, how do we make that transition easier for people? How do we use better information as part of that transition mm-hmm. process? What happens post-transition? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and what, what do we need to be thinking about? Um, how do drugs need to be thought of different in that context? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, there's a lot of opportunity there. That's definitely a whole category where I think it hasn't been t- – there's unmet needs like, yeah. that have not yeah. been tapped into yeah. yet. And not even just trans women. I actually want to correct myself and say trans men as well because if you still have yes. your reproductive organs but you're taking a ton of testosterone, like I can't exactly. even imagine what that does to your – vaginal area you know and no one I've never heard anyone talk about it and I'm in a very progressive community you know but it's a very private topic I'm also not talking about my vaginal dryness with all my girlfriends but um (laughs) you know interesting okay I just want to kind of ask you because like that's a category that people are like well first of all is this femtech I say yes and then second of all is that an area that needs innovation? Is it an area that is going to, would be funded yeah. if I even tried? Is it something that could ever exit, you know? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I definitely think so. I mean, in this, you know, shame, shame on us if not, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in the end, it's, it's all about, um, you know, when you're developing products that, that make lives better for people, um, that's all people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have all different kind of needs. And I think that is a, a, a segment of the, of 
kind of medical needs that are, to your point, really nuanced, right? Because you're giving different hormones, you're, yeah. you're kind of subjecting the body to something um, that is different from what it had been doing yeah. for a long time. Also, there's a lot of um, research that shows, um, you know, women don't respond necessarily the same way to drugs as men do. I mean, that's why there's been such a big push to, um, you know, regardless of the therapeutic area, to make sure there's a sufficient number of women in the clinical trial. Yeah. So either direction, <laughs> yeah. um, there are nuances there that need to be understood because right. they may not react the same way. Thanks for letting me put you on the spot there. I just felt, I was like, she's, she's going to have an opinion. I know it. Um, and then, <laughs> and our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? You know, so I think, um, a couple things probably. So one is, um, awareness, uh, and, and really kind of awareness and getting behind, a common definition even for what mm -hmm. it is, right? What is femtech? I mean, I think of it broadly as it's, you know, it's making, it's, it's using any kind of technology to make a woman's life better, yep. right? Whether yep. it's technology and how you deliver a drug, mm -hmm. right? So I include it even in using a vaginal ring to deliver hormones vaginally. To me, that's tech, even though it's not like an app technology, right? Um, all the way to using like an app technology to deliver mm -hmm. contraception example. So, so I think part of it is, is as a community deciding what we think, um, you know, what's, what's included in femtech. Cause I think in, it's important, right? Definitions matter. And sometimes yes. getting people behind something takes everyone being unified behind the That's words right. they use to describe it. Um, and, and then I think the other is the same thing, you know, you need in any sector is we need to, we need to really celebrate our successes. Yes. Right? Celebrate our successes. We need to make sure people are aware of the successes because investment, you know, people invest uh, in areas where one, they can understand the opportunity that they're investing in and they can usually, they're investing in places where they can point to like, oh, well, this is a good place to put my money because mm -hmm. XYZ did really well here and yeah. therefore I want to be part of this too. And that only happens if you, you know, we got to scream it on the mountaintops. Like anytime there's a success, we got to be vocal about it. We got to make sure, you know, we get that information out there. And right now yes. there, there, are, this is a great forum, obviously for that, we need more forums for people to be able to talk about it. And then for someone who's doing research to be able to aggregate the information, yes. and say, you know, really. I can point to the you know, wonderful successes. And this is why investors should be putting their money here. That's right. Yeah. I love it. I think, you know, we're creating a list and like, we're going to publish it somewhere and it's going to be living and breathing and it's going to grow. But, um, I wonder if there's also like this opportunity for doing a little bit of history research where we look at who were those investors of these exited companies, you know, and then right. approaching them and saying, can you write a blog? Can you please tweet this yes. every month for 12 months? Can you please tweet that you yes. made money off of this femtech company, you know, because then that will echo it further than our right. femtech focused website, which I'm proud of our, of our reach. But like if we could go, trip, you know, go back, that would be yes. really powerful. It would be. And I think too, sometimes we, we forget to do this, but looking at other, um, like therapeutic categories or other healthcare areas where maybe there wasn't as much appreciation for the opportunity and look what happened once there was more awareness. Mm. And, and we talked about erectile dysfunction, but even outside of kind of sexual health, think about depression. Um, you know, it was something that was stigmatized. People didn't talk about it. I don't think anyone would have thought that was a great area to invest money in developing drugs. And Prozac comes to market and completely changed the landscape. Wow. It destigmatized the disorder. It kind of raised awareness for, wow, this is an important therapeutic area. And it also created a whole industry around pharmaceutical companies developing drugs that acted on the brain to yeah. deal with this condition. So hmm. I think sometimes, too, we got to point to some of these other areas where there are a lot of examples where people didn't appreciate the number of patients that there were or that people would take a drug for something or that people would use an app for something, mm. but then it becomes available and look what happened. So I think also maybe pointing out some of these examples can be helpful to people that may not be thinking of it in that context. You know what I think we need? We need a Netflix documentary. 
because everyone's home right now and they're watching on the Netflix. If everyone in the yeah. world can watch Tiger King, we can make a femtech <laughs> documentary yeah. and change the hearts and minds of everyone regarding women's health and wellness. That's what we need. Netflix, call I, me. <laughs> yeah. Call. Call now. <laughs> call now. <laughs> Man, that is what we need. I'm going to put my marketing team on it. They're going to be like, oh my God. <laughs> I also told them I want a book, so we're going to do all the things. Oh man, Sabrina, this has been seriously so fun. You're amazing. You're changing women's lives. You're saving women's lives. And, um, you know, you, you are a success in femtech and we're gonna, we're gonna shout it. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. What a great forum. And I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to my interview with Sabrina Johnson, CEO of Dare Bioscience. My favorite part of this episode was talking about the challenges of getting sexual wellness therapeutics for women approved by the FDA. Admittedly, before this interview, I thought there were barriers to getting FDA approval because women's products were not a priority. But that's uh, not true, you know? Uh, After this conversation, my eyes have been opened. It's not that we're not a priority, but... There is a problem, but it's not about prioritization. It's about the lack of research on women that makes it so hard to have conclusions about if a drug is actually effective or not. It seems so common sense that, you know, a sexual wellness drug for men is easy to test while on women, it's kind of complicated, right? I mean, how the heck do you quantify sexual wellness in women? There's so many moving parts and every lady's parts, well, move differently on their own too. So my hope for Femtech is that there be more government funding for basic scientific and medical research on the female's biology. Alrighty. Last night, we had an amazing podcast listening party. It was so much fun. If you missed it, no worries, because we're doing it every Tuesday evening. So if you want to come to the next one, register through our website, femtechfocus.org. We also have an event tomorrow. Our graduates from the Guild Academy Femtech Edition cohort are presenting in a showcase Thursday, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Come here, eight badass Femtech founders give pitches around their early stage women's health startups and then network with the founders and attendees after. You can register, again, both of these events on our website, femtechfocus.org. Alrighty, Fem fans, if you love our content, then please consider donating to Femtech Focus. We are a nonprofit organization and depend on your donations to operate. Your contributions go directly to helping us elevate the Femtech industry. You can also support us by sharing this show with a friend, subscribing, and leaving a positive review. To stay up to date on Femtech news and events, subscribe to our newsletter and join our virtual community. If you haven't yet, seriously, we have hundreds of Femtech amazingness and uh, members there. You got to join the virtual network. You can do that through our website. And until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness. <laughs>